Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Max Berry is an Australian author of the books Jennifer Government, Syrup Company, and the recently released Machine Man, which we'll be reviewing tonight. He's also the author of an online political game called Nation States. He lives in Melbourne, where he writes full-time. Machine Man, the synopsis here is pulled right from Amazon. Scientist Charles Newman loses a leg in an industrial accident. It's not a tragedy, it's an opportunity. Charlie always thought his body could be better. He begins to explore a few ideas. To build parts. Better parts. Prosthetist Lola Shanks loves a good artificial limb. In Charlie, she sees a man on his way to becoming artificial everything, but others see a madman or a product or a weapon. A story for the age of pervasive technology, Machine Man is a gruesomely funny unraveling of one man's quest for ultimate self-improvement. Okay, right out of the gate, because we're terrible at this, I think I want, the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that it's really funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've talked about so many books now that have been, like, humorous and amusing and funny, and it's like the last thing, it's like an afterthought. So, um, I have a tendency to get too serious with my notes in the beginning, because there's things I don't want to forget to say, but it's a goddamn funny book. Um, he really does a great job of looking at the absurd moments in life and just making them, yeah, pop from the page. I don't think it's just that. I think it's not only... Yes, it is that. But in addition, he takes a look at some really, really mundane things that also he tends to look at with a little bit of wit, as uh, any readers of his previous three novels are already familiar with. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to do quotes later on in the episode um, that kind of illustrate that. I think I was modest this time with my notes, and I only ended up jotting down like six or seven. So we're going to give you a taste of that humor in a little bit. So the concept of the book in general is, I mean, it's a guy that loses a limb and then decides he's going to build a better one. So it's a little bit morbid from the get-go, but he does a great job of keeping the reader. The story is told from the perspective of our protagonist is Charlie, who's the guy who loses his leg. So he really keeps you in that mindset of the protagonist where uh, it's not this weird, unnatural thing you're doing. It's just you're taking a a situation that happened to you and and improving on yourself instead of just settling for something like a cheap like crutch or whatever. He's building something that's better than a leg that he would have had naturally. So he does a good job of keeping you in that mindset of of like this kind of weird optimism. Yeah, and as mentioned previously, he's a scientist, but he's your very standard scientist. He's the very stereotypical, no friends, uh, lives for his work, um, has never had much of a love life. He's your basic, basic geek who falls in love with the idea of the better him. Yeah, and it comes out, it's so weird how it comes out. Um, It's going to be tough to talk about some of this without spoiling it, but um, as, as time progresses, he loses his leg. At first, he gets this very basic prosthetic leg, which he is very disappointed in and then his mind as an engineer just starts to click where he's like I can do I can make something better and he's analyzing the situation and everything and so he also then um, decides that as he builds the better leg for himself that his actual original organic leg can't keep up with it and that's kind of how it progresses it's an interesting look at you know, as I was reading this, not only was I kind of thinking along the lines of, of technological improvement, because I think we, well, some of us, and Rob accused me of this, you know, have this for our, our toys. It's a new phone, or it's a new tablet, or it's a new computer, and we kind of collect them, and we want the better one because it's new, and that's kind of what Charlie goes through in this book. But more so, it even reminded me of um, 
you know, bodybuilders, the guys you may see at the gym that can never, ever be big enough in their whole lives become about adding another quarter inch or half an inch to their arms, or even body modification fanatics who, you know, they go from the nose piercing to multiple piercings to uh, splitting their tongue or having horns embedded in their forehead and stuff. So, I mean, this really brought to mind a lot of people who just aren't happy with themselves and think they can do better from an outward standpoint. Yeah, and even taking technology into consideration, something that something that I thought of is since everybody now has a cell phone, who remembers a phone number? It's just something that we count on our phone to know, and we just we use our mind for other things. Um, so in a way, and that's and text messaging now is different with you know smartphones and everything. But there was a time with text messaging where you have that predicted predictive text on the nine. Uh, button keypad so that it would just guess what you were writing instead of you having to go through all that work. So it's something that we actually do all the time, but in a much, much smaller scale than what's in the book. So through the course of, uh, of Charlie's saga, he, he meets uh, the prosthetist, um, Lola Shanks, who, uh, due to some incidents in her early childhood, um, has devoted her life to making prosthetics, and she falls in love with him because he loves prosthetics more than he loves his own his own organic body. So she's another key character, and although she's not in the book a whole ton, um, she's one of the motivating factors for Charlie's obsessions. Yeah, and I worry that this is going to spoil things. It's weird because at times she's like his anchor for reality, but in other times she's also what pushes him to want to do these unnatural improvements to himself. So she's kind of a weird kind of dual influence. Like you would think that she'd be the the person who's stopping him or the person who's encouraging him, but not like a bit of both. And she does like, I mean, it's all from his perspective. So it's just him, I think, rationalizing things, but it's interesting how, what she played, the role she plays in the way he decides to do things. You know, and I guess I didn't really give that a lot of thought until you just said it, but I think that that's also very true to form for a lot of people even though they're telling you that something is bad for you they may be encouraging you in other ways to do it still so perhaps you came off as a little more realistic that way now that you kind of put it into perspective yeah i agree the other central character in the in the story is cassandra cautery who works for a better future the company that employs charles newman she's the crisis manager there and uh the one that's been tasked with kind of keeping newman in line um, while uh, encouraging him to continue to develop better products for the company. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's funny to think about it. Like the the character that you see the most from his company is a crisis manager who you would think in a typical situation is the person you hear from the least. But uh, she does have a very, very central role in the story. And so Better Future in general is a company that just makes products. It's really vague about what they make in general, but it seems like they just kind of manufacture things to, you know, make it better, make it better. Yeah. It's, it's that vague. It's like, I can't tell you one thing they did before this, but at the, once Charlie starts to want to build these body parts that are better than, you know, what organic body parts would be, the company latches onto it and they get this idea that he can just build better everything. And, and, and start this very big market, not only like for cosmetic reasons, but also as things go along, other reasons as well. Um, so it's just one of those big companies that's got a ton of money, and they just start funneling all this money into his uh, 
what he thinks is just a pet project for himself. For those of you who have read Company by Max Berry, um, Cassandra Cautery is uh, the perfect embodiment of some of the things that went on uh, in that book as far as kind of the workplace structure. She's middle management. There's a lot of those vagaries about what people do in a, in a business, and, and he does touch on that with... Um, Charlie has these lab lackeys. He's given a team of people, and, and just kind of how goofy the work structure can be sometimes uh, isn't really, really prevalent in this book, but it is does remind me a lot of, of Barry's previous company. So what we have is a book um, that's about a guy who's kind of trying to find himself through technology. Um, it's a little bit of a love story. It is definitely filled with social commentary, as I kind of mentioned. Any fan of Max Barry's um, knows that social commentary is... Uh, is at the forefront of, of pretty much all the stuff he's written. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, a, I don't know, roughly a year in the life of Charlie and his transition from uh, from normal human to, uh, to machine man. But one of the things that I kept thinking throughout the, the, the book as I was reading it is that, like, I should be more horrified by what's going on than I really am. Like I said earlier, it's just because he keeps you really well paced with what the protagonist is thinking. And I won't spoil anything, but the way that he ended the book, and, and I guess there's a part, maybe two-thirds of the way through the book, where, in my mind at least, there's this kind of radical shift in what the company does and how it affects our main characters. And that's when I was like, yes, this is what <laughs> this is kind of what I was thinking I should be feeling. And and so there's this, this neat little turn where the things that, when you're looking at things through uh, Charlie's perspective, they're all justified and like, you know, he's faced with this problem and he makes a better solution out of it. And you're like, yes, yes, this all makes sense. And then all of a sudden there's a switch and you see just how like morbid and kind of terrible a situation this could really be. It goes from being this funny, I mean, it's funny throughout and still throughout the book, there's this really humorous parts, but um, you really get this like flashes of, of more of a terrible situation that it could be or is. So I thought it was really neat, and I was really waiting for it, and I, I'm glad I finally got that kind of like, ugh, feel. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, being in Charlie's shoes, his, his Charlie's or Max's arguments, um, yeah, definitely do believe that every step that his protagonist takes is the next logical step, and it makes perfect, perfect sense. Although if we were witnessing it in real life and watching it on CNN or, or on a talk show, we, we might be a lot more horrified. But he does such a good job of just delivering the goods, of just telling us why the next crazy logical step, you know, why the next crazy step is the next logical step, and you're totally bought into it. I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, you're like, well, this is what anyone would decide to do. <laughs> Only later from a different, like lens or whatever mm -hmm. it's really brought back to that hor horrificness hor horrificness sure uh, but at the very end I mean it's a love story throughout as well because you know every every decent story has a love aspect to it and um, you feel it a little bit and it kind of builds and it kind of builds but there was an for me the ending was more touching than I expected it to be which I also thought was good all right, so that's pretty much it for story. I think we're going to uh, kick it over to some quotes right now, and we'll see. Uh, Rob said he only had seven or eight, but I don't believe him. <laughs> yeah, I tried my best to find quotes that kind of covered the spectrum from, like, the funny stuff to the more serious stuff to even some of the more touching moments. So I'm going to start it out with 
this one really quick one, which is, I saw a terrible light in her eyes, like love. I don't know what's really to say about that. It kind of speaks for itself. And then I'm going to jump, before Livia has a chance, jump into kind of one of the more humorous quotes that I, that I found. She put her hands on her hips. These emotional cues were distracting. I was used to arguing with scientists who would explain with perfectly bland faces why you were wrong and stupid. <laughs> yeah, very. It, it's, there's so much tongue-in-cheek comedy and, and quite a few laugh-out-loud moments, like I said, in, in everything he writes. Um, I'm going to move on to my first, what was, I believe, my first laugh-out-loud moment in this. I'm going to set this up a little bit. Our protagonist, uh, fairly early on in the book, is in the hospital, and he's uh, using a catheter um, for his bowel movements. And uh, he's, he's arguing with the, the nurse who tells him it's time for him to get up and use the bathroom. Uh, I said nothing. This was true. I could, but why should I? We had the technology for a superior waste disposal system, but wouldn't use it because we preferred to drop feces into an open bowl of water and rub the residue on our asses with tree pulp. <laughs> so that was, uh, again, and this is this is kind of goes back to what he was saying. So many of the things he says make perfect sense as you're reading them that you're like, yeah, that does seem kind of archaic, but it's what we do. Um, Charlie's whole goal in the book is to eliminate things like that. <laughs> he's just got that weird personality that it's just like it's it stands out from everything else because they just don't like it's like him and other people don't interface properly and this next quote kind of illustrates that he said she seemed convincing but then again i was an extraordinarily poor judge of people it's because he just doesn't understand them that's right and then <laughs> i've got another one uh this is just i think one of the Aside from the stuff that happens at the end, one of the most touching parts in the in the in the book, and it goes with Lola, everything was solvable. She was my independent variable. <laughs> Some nerdy science love. Yeah, and that's as you mentioned earlier. He does a lot of that where he kind of plays science into his everyday life, and again, a lot of it makes sense and is very very witty too. I'm going to go a little later in the book. I'm not going to set this one up because I really don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But this to me is kind of the epitome of. Uh, of what I expect when I pick up a Max Berry book. The fucking guy had died. I felt rage. I wanted to go over there and cut off his arm and die in front of him and see how he liked it. <laughs> Just great laugh-out-loud stuff there. And that was the one uh, quote in the book that both Livius and I had together. It, typically it happens because, like, there's just some parts of any book that just stand out, and usually Livius and I will have, like, one or two that overlap, and that was the one where he saw it and he said, yeah, that's the one. So... We're going to try something a little different here for my last quote. This is this would typically be Rob's quote where we read an entire page out of the book, but this is just a really fun argument. Um, and Rob is going to help me along with this because it's a two-sided conversation. Uh, I am going to play the part of narrator and Charlie, our protagonist, um, and Rob is going to play the part of Lola uh, Shanks, for which he has put on some makeup and a dress and looks just adorable. So they are uh, sitting at the dinner table, and uh, an altercation just occurred. Lola had, uh, had Charlie had asked for the salt. Um, Lola continued or picked up her glass, took a drink of her water, and then um, put down her glass and then gave Charlie the salt, and we're going to go from there. I put down the salt. You locked the salt while performing an unrelated task. She blinked. You mean drinking? Yes. You can't wait five seconds for salt? I can, but salt is a shared resource. If you're going to lock it, you should use it as quickly as possible, then release it. You can't leave it locked while accepting an interrupt. I got thirsty. Then first return the salt to the general availability. 
just in case you happen to want salt in that five seconds? Yes. She stared at me. Really? Otherwise, you compromise the system. What system? The... I waved my hands. The system. There isn't any system. Everything is a system. Look, I leaned forward. What if I had your water and I suddenly decided I wanted the salt and instead of giving you back the water, I just sat here waiting for you to release the salt, which you didn't because you were waiting for the water. It's a deadlock, that's what. It's a catastrophic system failure. And you're probably thinking, well, I could just ask Charlie to give me the water in exchange for the salt, but that requires you to understand my resource needs and violate process encapsulation. It's a swamp. I'm not saying it's a big deal. I'm just pointing out that locking the salt like that is incredibly inefficient and systematically dangerous. Lola snickered. You're insane. So if you like that, we may be doing more of that here on Book where Rob and I do an entire play <laughs> for your listening pleasure. That was our first bit of theater. It was. It's only possible because for the first time in 36 episodes, we're sitting in the same room doing this. Staring lovingly in each other's eyes. That's what that's what one author accused us of doing when we're doing the show. <laughs> so that's quotes, and I hope that that kind of illustrates the range of, of writing capabilities that this book has, and just some of the, I mean, it's just packed full of these fantastic moments that, like, they're written in such a clever and witty way that just jump at you. It's like, just nonstop. Absolutely. I think we're going to move into a, a word snob here. I'm going to word snob, and it's not really word snob this time as, as we initially had, had set it out, but it took me a lot longer to get this than I would think um, it should, and I'm not going to say how long because it's kind of embarrassing, but our, uh, our uh, protagonist is named Charles Newman, which if you say it really slowly is Newman. Lola Shanks, who is the uh, prosthetics surgeon, Shanks is actually uh, the part of the leg from the knee to the ankle. And uh, Cassandra Cautery, who is um, the crisis manager, is named after uh, how you put something back together, you know, when, uh, when there's a big severance of bone and tissue cauterizing. When there's catastrophic damage. When there's catastrophic damage, exactly. So there you go. Um, <laughs> thanks, Max Berry, for making me feel kind of silly. That took me a really long time to, to catch on to that. But it definitely won. <laughs> it definitely wasn't um, something we realized as we were going over the notes together right before we started recording this. There's no way that's how long it took. Nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't really have any kind of snobs uh, except for to say that like this is there's a lot of geeky talk, and I've heard random criticism when someone writes excessively technical or geeky stuff in in a story that it could possibly take away from just the story in general. And I don't feel like that's the case here. He does a good job of just making that the, the meat of the story. So it is geeky and technical, but not in a way that detracts from the story. I don't think that that should not be something that someone worries about as being something that will make them like the story any less. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I, <laughs> I don't believe in science. And when I say that, I don't believe in science like some people don't believe in Santa Claus. And I didn't have any trouble following any of the um, any of the language that was used in here, no matter how technical or scientific it got. I mean, I think he does a really good job of keeping it at a very base level for anyone to be able to understand. Yeah, and he never it never slows down the pace of the story. It never detracts from anything, and it's never confusing. So um, good job on, on that for him, I think. All right, I think uh, you're about ready to wrap it up. Yeah, why don't you kick off wrap-ups this time? Okay. Max Berry just continues to deliver a very, very funny um, book filled with social commentary, much like I had mentioned, and I'll mention again, his previous three novels. 
done in a way that can kind of change your outlook on things as you're reading it. For something that sounds completely absurd, you can totally follow along with the characters and, and, and understand where he's coming from. At the same time, tells us a, a pretty touching story. Loved it. It's a four and a half star book for me. Okay, I'm still trying to be quick wrap up, Rob, where I don't start rambling about stuff that we talked about for 15 minutes already. So I'm um, just going to hit the high points. It was a funny book. It was well written. Um, I really enjoyed the geekiness of it uh, without it taking away from anything from the story. And it is the first Max Berry book I'm reading. And now I'm thinking, why hadn't you know, I heard about him earlier because it's just exactly the type of book I like to read. So I'm giving it uh, four stars. Really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to reading others. And before we move away from uh, from Max Berry, um, one more little bit on the outside of the book, something we've gotten pretty good at talking about lately. Um, best book trailer I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> this is coming off of a book we really, really liked um, that had a, what I really felt was a really poor trailer. I'm not going to give this a, give a whole lot away about this trailer. Um, check it out. It's actually Max Berry doing his own trailer for the book. It is clever and inventive and um, really worth it. It's probably about 75 seconds long, if even that, but definitely worth a watch if you're going to read this book or not. Yes, and we actually have it right now on the front page of our website. You can just go to our website and check it out there. And on top of the trailer, um, this book kind of has a, a weird a weird origin. Max started, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago on his site, um, had an idea. He hadn't written um, anything that was published novel-wise in, in quite a few years. And uh, he decided to start writing and putting it up to get people's feelings on it. So this book actually started as a serialization um, where he was putting up, you know, call a section, maybe not really a chapter, but a section at a time up on his website. And he had fans and, and other people, whoever, come on and actually critique his work. Uh, and what it, what evolved from that, the whole thing he had posted on his website to, for people to see was the first draft of Machine Man. So there are people who have been um, been there from the beginning. If time allows, I may go back and actually read its first inception. I like the book enough to see uh, that I'd like to see where it started from. He also went and crowdsourced for covers. And uh, I don't remember exactly, I actually stumbled across the website when he was doing it, but he had it narrowed down to maybe four or five covers, and he had fans vote for the cover that they liked best, and uh, the cover that's on the front page of our website is the one they went with. Very cool stuff, very different from uh, from just your standard writing practice, I would imagine. This kind of goes back to what we talked about before as far as... Uh, using like online communities to workshop your stories. I mean, this is something that wouldn't, you know, could it have been done? Sure. I guess he could have sat in a library with people once a week and, you know, and read out his stories or whatever, but you know, 10 or 15 years ago, this wasn't something you could do that easy and get, you know, dozens of people to give you their thoughts on a work in progress. True. And it, <laughs> it's funny because it almost ties into the whole, like using technology to make something better theme of the book. You know, it kind of does. I didn't. I didn't think about that. I'm always yeah. looking for meaning and stuff, and I can't believe it. But I, right off the bat in the book, there's a quote that um, that I'm going to read now that I didn't when we were actually reading quotes, which would have been the right time to do it. And it's like on the second actual page of book. Uh, it, it ties into what we've been talking a lot lately about ebooks versus you know paper books and the future of publishing and everything. And it's the second page of the book. I woke and reached for my phone, and it was not there. I groped around my bedside table, fingers sneaking between novels I didn't read anymore, because once you start e-reading, you can't go back. And um, Go ahead and tell them why that's funny. <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but... <laughs> the, f- 
the real I, I was going to save Livius's um, pride and everything, but the reason that that that's especially funny is we read all of our books on our e-readers. I have a Kindle. Livius has a Kindle. And I think just in the last year or so, Livia said he'd read one or two books out of like probably 80 or something like that, actually in paper format. And <laughs> when we decided we were going to read this book, we went online. We looked for a Kindle edition. No, I'm sorry. Livius went online, <laughs> looked for a Kindle edition, didn't see it, and then decided that we needed to get a paper version in order to read it in time. So I went out to the store and picked up two copies of it. And then only after we, um, you know, had read a good good amount of it, Livia said, oh, you know, there is a Kindle edition available. So it was uh, just a nice little juxtaposition. It's the perfect series of coincidences. Yeah, I have absolutely nothing to say to any of that. You can validate the truth of it. It is absolutely the truth. I managed <laughs> to somehow not find the Kindle version on Amazon's mobile site. So there, um, we are e-readers that had to go back, uh, even though once you do, it's true. I mean, once I started reading on my Kindle, I, I didn't care for paper paper books at all. Uh, it took me a little while to get back in the swing of it, and it was okay towards the end. The biggest problem I had was trying to read while I was eating my lunch and balancing my cell phone on two pages and using like my pinky to shift my cell phone up the page so I could read the bottom and then move it over so I could read the other page, so... Uh, my foray back into paper books um, won't keep me there. I'm certainly going back to my Kindle for our very next uh, for our very next read. And another thing I notice uh, <laughs> when when we're preparing, so we're reading a we're reading a book for the podcast. I always just use Kindle's function to highlight bits of the book and use those as my quotes. So I'll do I'll do my highlights as I as I'm reading and I just keep moving on. And then when the time comes to to do the, the episode, I pull out my Kindle. I go to my, my notes and highlights, and I just read them off right through my Kindle. Couldn't do that with the paper form, and I don't really like marking up books more than possible. So I had to actually, um, yeah, I'm going to get nailed for this, but I, I have my Moleskin app for my iPhone, and I uh, pulled out my Moleskin app for my iPhone, and I was just um, hand-typing them into my phone every time I found a quote that I liked. So very, very inefficient, and I was thinking to myself, man, there's definitely a better way to do this. I uh, I took pictures of the page numbers with my phone <laughs> and then went back and wrote them down on a piece of paper so I could refer back to what pages they were on. How embarrassing. It's where technology fails us. There's a better way to do it. Yeah, so now with the Kindle, yeah. I, I never realized it until we had to go paper just how nice it is to just be able to pull it out and just, you know, have all my highlights and everything and not worry about it, have it all in one place. So all kinds of levels of things referring to themselves in this in this review all right and then uh for our read this not that i'm gonna say go ahead and read this as we uh, put it at four and a quarter stars between the two of us um read all of max berry's other books read jennifer government read company read syrup um i read i started reading them with jennifer government and then i read company and syrup all of them easily four star books if i had to go back and read them you know just i read them all five years ago or whatever but um yeah certainly all of them four to five star books uh you'll get the same thing you got here really funny really insightful social commentary um and, and a good storyline underneath definitely loved jennifer government absolutely loved it so here's the problem for me at least not every time but often when uh, we review books if we liked them like i liked glenn duncan's book he's got 
a handful of books I've never read. Seven. Seven books I've never read, and I want to read those. Now I'm reading Max Berry, who I haven't read before, and he's got three other books that I haven't read. But we can't because we have to keep doing this. So that's the the secret downside to to doing a book review every week is that I just have this giant pile of of other books that I want to read. So Max, I promise I will get around to it, Um, but it might take me a while to read your other books. What do you say in the book? This could be a system breakdown, a catastrophic failure. Yeah, Start someone's books we're not going to review, and then you can't read the books that we're going to review, and then I have to find another co-host. Oh, no, <laughs> a robot co-host. Oh, there you go. Part machine, <laughs> part man. You know who kind of sounds a little bit like a machine. I've actually been told. You're not replacing me with Malaz. <laughs> Malaz, I've been told by people, sounds a little bit like a robot, especially in the early Malaz minutes. So, uh, all right. Well, hey, you know we haven't heard from Malaz for a while. I'm get Malaz on soon. Yeah, it's been like an episode. It's been like an episode. <laughs> it feels like longer than that, doesn't it? Yeah. I missed that Netherlander. All right. I don't even know if that's proper. Um, so this moves us into some pretty exciting stuff here, um, as we've now wrapped up all of our actual reading stuff. Uh, would you like to make this announcement, Rob? Yeah. Actually, we have uh, some, a pretty exciting thing we're about to give it a shot. Uh, the first time we're going to try uh, doing a giveaway, a book giveaway on Goodreads. So we've got this collection of five books that we're going to be giving away. We're going to set it up on Goodreads. Um, we've seen authors have a lot of success doing giveaways on Goodreads. And there's just, I mean, that's where people go to talk about books. So we're going to give it a shot and see how that goes. Five signed books. All these books are signed. And Livius will tell you what they are. All right, here it is. It's our Warmed and Bound bundle giveaway. One signed copy of Warmed and Bound, and that's uh, signed by Richard Thomas and Chris Deal. Shiver Six, which contains a short story by Richard Thomas, also signed by him. Cien Fuegos, the chapbook, signed by Chris Deal. Stranger Will, signed by Caleb J. Ross. And When October Falls by Christopher J. Dwyer. Um, all four of these gentlemen former guests and kind enough to donate uh, signed copies of their books for uh, for giveaways uh, for us, which is really terrific, and we are going to pass those on to you. So there will be a link on our page, um, and you can go to uh, Goodreads and look through the contests, and you'll find it there. Yep, there will be a link on our website. We'll also make sure that we link it on Facebook and drop some information on Twitter as well. Uh, the episode you're listening to now went up on Friday, so over the weekend we'll have uh, information going out on Facebook and Twitter and everything like that where you can go to sign up to win it. All right, and then if you are still chomping at the bit for the um, ebook version of Warmed and Bound, it is coming very, very, very soon. And the quickest way to find out when it's available is head over to warmedandbound.com. Um, there is a area where you can uh, enter your email address. It's right on the front page, and uh, they'll shoot you an email the second it's available for you to purchase. You're definitely going to want the ebook version. You want to mention to them why, Rob? Can I mention why? Yeah, you can mention why. Yeah, actually, um, there are some. There's a really, really good reason to um, to pick up this ebook, and I'm going to be a terrible at explaining why. So why don't you do it instead? Um, okay. Uh, Palavia and the fine folks at Velvet Press invited us to partake in the bonus content that's going to be available exclusively with the ebook from us. Specifically, there are going to be some transcriptions that a few of the authors were nice enough to do, so that we didn't have to do. And, uh, and some final thoughts from Booked. So our stuff is going to be published um, in the bonus content. There's going to be a ton of other great bonus content in there as well. We're not the exclusive bonus content providers. There's great other stuff to be had, too. 
And um, I'm thinking, I mean, it's, it's quite a lot that what you're getting over the actual paper book. So a good reason to pick up both of them. Get your first edition copy um, with us through our Goodreads um, contest and then pick up the ebook and read that. Yeah, there's a ton of – here's the thing. With Warmed and Bound when it came out, it's, it's, a, it's an anthology, so it's a book filled with you know stories and everything. But there's this whole culture around it. And with this bonus content, from what I understand about it, they really did a good job of adding that kind of the culture and the feel of everything that was surrounding the release of it into the bonus content. So it was like a nice little thank you on the ebook version. And it's, yeah, it's just a lot of great stuff. So we'll probably be talking about this a lot since we're um, now officially, <laughs> uh, officially appearing in the ebook. So thank you again, Pelavia and Velvet Press for, uh, for thinking of us and having us in your bonus content. Yeah, I'm stoked. All I'm right. totally stoked. Very, very exciting stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's about it. I think we just need to talk about what we're doing next. Okay, next week's book review episode is going to be Donald Ray Pollock's latest book, The Devil All the Time, which just came out, I think, mid-June. It's a pretty recent release, and we're going to be talking about that next week. Very cool. Uh, you're probably listening to us somewhere, so I'm not going to guess at where it is. So here's where you can find us. Um, in addition to wherever you're listening to us, you can get us on our website, bookpodcast.com. You can download us from iTunes. You can download us from Blueberry. You can download us from the Zune Marketplace. And my personal favorite, Stitcher. Um, Stitcher, <laughs> uh, where I listen to my own podcast, believe it or not, after all the things I said early on. I, I'm still a little pissed at them, but it's probably the easiest way to get your to get your book to podcast, as well as many, many other fine podcasts. So check them out at Stitcher.com. You can download it for the iPhone, the Android phone, BlackBerry. Might be something for WebOS if you just picked up uh, your $100 version of the, uh, of the HP touchpad over the weekend. Um, Stitcher, the smarter way. To listen, I think is what the promo says. I have no idea. Stitcher Smart Radio is a smarter way to listen to radio. Yeah, and I'll be completely honest. This is the way I do it. I um, I update the website and make sure that everything's published. I go to iTunes to make sure that the feed is refreshed. I download each episode on iTunes, and then I just leave it there because I actually do. I uh, I listen to everything on my iPhone, and so I, if I do listen to it, I listen to it through Stitcher. So. It's, Stitcher's uh, also been really good at, at um, at least with Android, consistently updating their app. I mean, I think since we started, I probably had like five app updates, and and every one of them, some of them you don't really notice anything. They may have fixed a glitch that I run into, but they so they stay really on top of their development with the app too, especially if you're on Android. Of course, if it's on Apple, there was no problems with it in the beginning, so they don't ever have to update anything. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, does anybody actually listen to us from Zoom? I have no idea. Hey, if you've ever listened to us on the Zoom Marketplace, just shoot us an email or just mention it in Twitter, please, just so we know. Yeah, tell us. And I want to know about the experience because I'm all Mac, so I don't know what the Zoom Marketplace is like or anything. I want to know what that's like because we never mention it, and maybe it's nice. I don't know. If you're listening to us through Zoom, uh, let us know what, what, what that's like. Where can they let us know if they're listening through Zoom? Okay, there's about 7,000 ways that you can get in touch with us. The obvious ones are you can email us, bookedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. Uh, Twitter, tweet at us. We're at, at bookedpodcast. Uh, and just go to our website. It's bookedpodcast.com. You can leave a comment. Um, yeah. If you dig really deep, you can find a phone number and you can call us. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, you really can. Someone did. Yeah, someone actually found a phone number and <laughs> called us. So Someone did that 45 seconds of uh, web research it takes to find out who owns a domain uh, and called That's us. That's right. That's all it takes. It's out there. <laughs> all right. I think... Um, that's as much as we can stretch this out without losing listeners. So that'll do it for this episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.